Love the nouns, love the pronouns, impersonal and personal. Love the words from ELFM. to Love the Words here on East Leeds FM and recently we've been doing a series of interviews uh, about voice. It started with World Voice Day and we talked to Louise Gibbs, jazz singer and Jane Oakeshott, voice uh, coach, voice tutor. Now we've got somebody else who works with voice um, speaking to us from London, Elspeth Morrison. Hello Elspeth. Hello, hello, good morning. Lovely to have you with us. You work with voice, but explain to us exactly uh, yeah, what, what do you do? If you're at a party and somebody says to you, so Elspeth, what do you do for a living? What do you say? Um, well, do you know what? Here's the thing. Um, if I don't want to speak to them, I tell them um, I tell them I do admin. Ha ha. And then run away. Um, if I do want to speak to them, I'll tell them I'm, um, uh, an ad- I'm a voice coach who works with actors to teach them accents other than their own so I'm, uh, I call myself an accent coach that's one thing I do work with actors teach them other accents um, and I work with um, news people on script delivery like BBC ITV CNN on helping them write scripts and then deliver them or sound as natural as they can on air and podcasters I work a lot with podcasters at the moment so they're two distinct strands but I basically do things with voices one changing uh, your actual pronunciation changing your accent one changing your delivery using your own words fascinating so how I mean how do you get into that what how did it start for you well um i've been doing this about 21 years now um i used to be a producer in documentaries at the bbc and um i'm not being funny but it, it, it i wasn't great at it i was sort of interested but i didn't kind of like the aspect of marching into people's lives filleting them for information and then leaving them broadly speaking, and I didn't like my boss at the time. So um, I happened to go on a course, just randomly went on a course um, at um, some drama school in London, a weekend course on learning an accent, because I've always been quite good with accents, because I come from quite a sort of mixed family, as it were, with lots of accents. And I thought, oh, this is interesting. And I was so fascinated. It was two days. I was so fascinated. At the end of the course, I went up to the woman teaching this course on accents and I went, I want to do that for a living. How do I do that? How do I do your job, please? And she said, oh, go to um, Central School of Speech and Drama. And 21 years ago, it was about the only place that ran a voice course. It was an MA in voice studies. So I took redundancy. Um, I was. I had to wait two years to get redundancy for various reasons. They wouldn't let me go. Anyway, I got redundancy, uh, used that to pay for the course, and at the age of, I think I was 38 or whatever at the time, um, uh, was a student for a year, which was a marvellous experience. And can I just say how great it is being a student when you're older mm. because you can sort out the wheat from the chaff and also you, you're very motivated to do the work in a way I wasn't when I was 20, let's say. So... Yeah, great stuff. So I didn't know, I always wanted to be an accent coach. The uh, That was my main interest rather than voice. And, you know, like the King's Speech sort of voice, you know, going ma, 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 me, 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 me. Um, not my area, you know, kind of warming up your voice. doing. And I've got friends who, who are voice coaches like that who are fantastic. But my area is much more focused on the noise and the specifics of it. Um, so I worked at drama schools for a long time and learnt, honed my craft, if you like. Um, and then 
bumped into someone at the BBC Weather Centre who I'm a friend of a friend of a friend who said like, oh, haven't you just done a voice course? They need someone in weather. So that's how I started off doing, working with kind of news and weather people and how the two prongs started basically, accent, actors, and um, then working with news people. So Osbeth, yeah, what, what aspects of your very, very job do you enjoy the most? And, yeah, and what are you up to at the moment? Um, well, I enjoy, I have to say, other than, you know, annoying bits of admin, which we all have to do, which I'm not very good at, um, I enjoy all of my job because it is so varied and I, um, I very much enjoy being freelance and not quite knowing what's coming up next. There's that sort of heart stopping, oh my God, I'll never work again. And then things do pop up um, and it suits my mentality. I think the thing about being freelance is you've got to have the right mentality, haven't you? So mm. some people really enjoy the sort of nine to five and rigid times and I, I really don't. So um, I enjoy the flexibility that gives me. Um, and I pretty much enjoy all the different aspects of my job. I know, um, for example, I just started teaching back at Central. I coach um, new voice coaches on the accent module. So that's nice to come full circle and, and actually be doing a bit of lecturing on the practical side. They call it an industry facing module. Oh, it's an MA they're on, but I sort of work with them on you know, how you work with actors. So that's one thing I've just started doing. Um, and another thing I've just come off um, was I worked for six weeks on an Amazon TV show called Citadel, um, which is kind of ironic because I never buy anything off Amazon and yet, you know, they're paying me to do something. So, yay. Um, but it's, it's a really, really good spy thriller. Uh, that's got Richard Madden and Priyanka Chopra as the leads in it. And that's as much as I can tell you, um, because I've had to sign those non-disclosure agreements. Um, and this is on the internet. This is in the public domain. Uh, but we both have to drink drink poison if I told you any more about it. But it's <laughs> a spy enough. thriller. And it was six weeks coaching American accents. Um, and that was absolutely, that was a complete shock coming out of lockdown, doing most of my work on Zoom and and not so much with actors, a lot with broadcasters, um, news was still happening, but a lot of acting stopped. So a lot of that work went away. Um, although I was able to put quite a lot on Zoom, I ran little workshops for the Actors Guild, for example, in the UK, which was a great thing because the Actors Guild in the UK run courses for actors normally we'd have to be face to face and you'd have to be in the uk but because of um being virtual we could get people from all over the world in on the workshops so that was great um but the real shock was going back to be with other people mm. on a television set i think about 200 people all masked all covid tested to pieces um and um no socializing so you know lots of jolly good stories of like you'd be talking to one person in their mask one day and then you'd start the conversation with them the next day and then halfway through, because you're not seeing all their face, you'd realise it was a different person <laughs> you were talking to. Um, and this was quite funny. Somebody that actually fancied somebody was actually stalking two blokes. Um, <laughs> she didn't realise that there were two until the masks came off. So, so you know, there even in these times, it was quite jolly. And I think the... the um, it was all quite jolly because people were, um, you know, uh, sort of out and about. So mm. it was even your, you know, your big hairy blokes that don't normally say hello to anybody were saying hello to you. So it was, it was, yeah, it was a great experience. And then this week as well, I went into a theatre. You can tell I'm quite excited, can't you? I'm, I'm quite excited. I actually went into an actual theatre um, to work on a show called Amélie. Uh, which has got French accents in it. Um, and it was lovely to see the cast that I've worked with twice before. It was, it's just a joy. It's the little things at the moment. But I think, you know, uh, in a way, I'm quite good at finding joy in the little things, which is just as well, because in my line of work, it's all about the little things. It's all about the little noises, the little sounds. So mm. as a personality, I'm, I'm good with detail generally. Mm. So um, that's why I find my work so great. And it must be, I mean, in terms of teaching accent, as you say, it really is down to very fine details. I mean, supposing I'm an actor, I've, I've got to do, say, uh, 
a Swedish accent in this mm. particular in this particular uh, play or, or or film, and I really am a bit clueless about a Swedish accent. How do you even begin to to, to, to teach somebody that is it through do you encourage them to listen to tapes do you yeah you, you, do you sit with them for hours and make particular sounds yeah give us an insight into that okay yeah listen to tapes how old are you mr spafford listen to tapes what's, what's tapes in the 19 19th century perhaps okay, okay. um yeah but no no, don't worry. I'm, I, I, I said the word uh, cassettes the other day, which was greeted with. What's that? Yeah. So anyway, just old old person stuff. Um, yeah. How do you begin? Um, often you don't get very much time with an actor. This is true. So um, you know, I'll often like I'm starting on something next week where I get an hour with each actor. Um, so. If they've been cast for something, we're working usually to to what the production has heard and like. So I'm not going to deviate too much from even if the accent's a bit off, where I might be going, oh dear, um, you know that's not absolutely completely truthful. Um, I'm working, I'm working with with the accent they've been cast in. I'll, I'll give you an example of this. Um, there's a show on the television called Vera. Um, that's an ITV show called Vera that's set in the Northeast, and they have lots and lots and lots of guest uh, appearances of lots of guest actors coming in, and mostly they're meant to be from the Northeast. But but accents of the Northeast, like Newcastle, Middlesbrough, Northumberland, actors find really scary, so they have a bit of a go. <laughs> and basically, the people hiring them, if they're good enough and it's not disturbing, um you know they might come to see me for some reassurance now here's the thing they they what you was what i always want to do my job is to make accents invisible if you like yeah. so people are thinking about the character the show i don't know maybe where did they get that coat from but if people start talking about the accent i've failed in some way shape mm. or form mm. but to answer your question about where do you start listening absolutely You've got to, I can't tell you the amount of actors I have who phone me up who go, I've got to do, let's say, Welsh. <laughs> and 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 I say, okay. Um, and they say, I can't do it. I can't do it. And I say, oh, have you heard any Welsh? No. <laughs> well, okay, that's answered yourself. You can't do it if you haven't heard it. So listening is crucial. And also, for example, when people say, actors say, I've got to do Welsh, I say, oh, what sort of Welsh, North, South, Valleys, um, because often casting breakdowns will just say these awfully generic terms. Northern is very common. So I'm like a sort of bloodhound trying to seek out um, what actually the requirement is for a particular thing, because often the, the casting will be quite generic. But, you know, what you want is something that doesn't raise any accent flags, doesn't make people come away. I mean, I'm sure you can think of, uh, you know, accents in f films where it's it's not good. I mean, can you think of any off the top of your head? Well, I recently saw was the un was it the Untouchables with um, Sean Connery trying to do an Irish accent. Oh. That was disastrous. Oh. Well, you know. The thing is about, you know, like Sean Connery, whatever Sean Connery does is Sean. This is him being a Spanish conquistador. This is him being Irish. This is him being Welsh. You know, it, I mean, there are some actors that are so famous. They just, I mean, I saw Michael Caine in something. Oh, no, what's it? Um, Get Carter the other day. And he says something like, you know, I'm from Newcastle. And it, it's, it's, you're not, mate. I misquote slightly, but it's, it's sort of. You know, when you're certain that famous and a bloke, usually you you know people just get away with absolute murder. Um, there's more specificity around accents now, though. People are getting wise to this, um, and and you know, casting's getting a little bit more sensible. And um, but I'm never out of a job because actors are always doing accents other than their own, and all actors work really differently. So some like you to sit with them and go through the accent of the listening as they're listening. Others like to do it on their own and then come back to you with the lines. So I'm all, I'm like a psychologist as well, trying to work out how actors want to work. Mm. 
Fascinating. Um, well, we're going to hear a piece of music which you've chosen, and you use this, uh, I gather, oh, yes. uh, to, to, to work with actors and uh, to illustrate various aspects of what you're doing. So tell us about this uh, ABBA song. So this is The Winner Takes It All. And uh, just to be clear, it's not about the lyrics or the music, lovely though they are. I came across this years ago. Um, if you listen to it carefully, you will hear their Swedish accents coming through. Um, so there's something that a lot of Swedish people do in their accents, which is the posh term is devoicing. So on a on a zzz sound, they'll take the vibration of it and change it to a zzz sound. Now, to put that more clearly, loser would be the word we would use. The the winner takes it all. The losers standing small. Loser. We would use a z in um, most standard most British accents. Loser. Um, you will hear clearly in this song. Uh, the winner takes it all, the loser, the loser standing small. And the L goes to a, like a front of the tongue L, which is very different to what a lot of UK accents work. And the changes to a very light D sound as well. I swear, once once heard, never forgotten, you'll, you'll start finding all sorts of Swedishisms. Um, so listening to songs is quite a fun way. I mean, you know, like a lot of... Um, what do you call it? Pop songs are written to a sort of Southern American vowel system. They don't talk about love, do they? Mm. Or love. They talk about love. Yeah. So you can use songs to help you get vowels um, and sometimes consonants of particular accents. It's a fun thing to do. The winner takes it all The loser standing small Beside the victory So that was The Winner Takes It All by ABBA, chosen by um, voice worker <laughs> Elspeth Morrison yeah. uh, and, and in relation to, talk, to talking about voice and accents, particularly teaching actors accents. We're going to be talking in a minute about voice and identity and how voice is so tied up with what we are, who we are, who we are trying to be, who we think we are. Um, but Elspeth, yeah, I mean, it's it's... It's also rather than just um, sort of how you flatten vowels or whatever, and it's also about where you put your tongue in your mouth. It's a, it's a bit. You you also go into all that with actors and you know. Mm. Yeah, I some of my colleagues do. I don't. <laughs> um, it's because people learn accents different ways. So some people get really sort of some actors get really you know where's my tongue where's my tongue and I go it's in your mouth mate it's in your mouth it's fine and um, whereas other more kindly coaches will be like oh it's feel the tip of the ridge and da, da, da. and and it I, I'm saying this as a joke against myself because it, it's one of those things that that comes up and I have to adapt as a coach to work with what how people experience accents but the the, the biggest thing about accents is that there are sort of when you're learning a new one, it's a three-pronged thing. You've got to listen to it, obviously, because you'll never get it. Um, you've got to see it, if you possibly can, see it in action, um, because you'll start to notice. Um, I mean, I was coaching a class yesterday, and um, it was a, a class for the Actors Guild, um, looking at the key markers of Scots accents, and I know there's a lot, Welsh accents, and I know there's a lot, and northern irish i know there's a lot and southern irish accents i know there's a lot yeah and we were trying to find you know what are some key pointers that might put you in the place and we could tell by looking at each other on zoom that certain accents had different lip shapes so like for example um in the word good 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 if you're in like a scottish place there's there's likely to be you're likely to see a little flick of the lips coming forward you can see a little oh, good 
good good good good it doesn't have to be massive like a big fish but if you're going to i don't know if you're going to french for example then you've got wider softer lips that might be coming forward a little bit can you hear what i'm doing yeah it's, it's quite I'm, nice i'm trying to trying it myself now trying it yourself you can do this thing whereas similarly if i go to australian now that's not to say that's not to say that all australians do do the, the australians say oh we don't do that smiley thing but if you come from French where your lips are a little bit pouty and you go to Australian, it feels kind of wider. Mm. You're not going to use your lips as, as in the same sort of way. So actually watching somebody, what what are the sort of, um, um, I don't know, what are the, the, sort of the, what are the features like, you know, in my accent, for, I'm from South Manchester and Manchester generally, it's quite normal to be a bit squinty around the eyes. Um, and it doesn't, I mean, that's, I'm saying that in a nurturing, kindly manner. <laughs> and that doesn't mean I hate you or I'm bored, but to look, that's one of the feedbacks I often get from people is is kind of like, oh, are you really fed up? And I, go, I squint at them and go, no, no, I'm not. No, I'm fine. No, what? Um, and, and so it, it's kind of knowing what you do. That's an important thing is knowing what your tendencies are in your own accent mm. and looking at what other tendencies are. So listening to an accent uh looking at an accent and feeling an accent mm. what does it feel like the biggest bit of feedback actors give me is they say oh when they're doing a new sound they say it feels wrong they go it doesn't feel right in my face and i've got two favorite things one is my a little actor i was working with one time from manchester who said i've broken my tongue I've my tongue, I've, I've strained my tongue. She was doing American. And she said, I've straight, it feels like I've broken my tongue in two distinct parts. <laughs> and and she was very clear that's what it felt like. And I said, well, I can understand you. So obviously you haven't broken your tongue. You can speak quite clearly. She said, no, but that was what it feels like. I feel like I've snapped my neck. This was from, she hadn't, just to be clear, nobody was harmed in the doing of an American accent. But the sensation was so strong that she couldn't kind of get to the new place. So actors need to address, it feels weird. The other one was a, a Scottish actress I was working with one time who I was trying to get her to say grass. She was working in trying to go to an RP accent, uh, receive pronunciation, Southern Standard British um, and her pronunciation would be grass and this was grass and she was like Ugh, oh it's horrible it's choking me it's horrible it's choking it's like Ugh. and eventually I said well what what else is going on for you and she said she said I, I know what it is it's because you're asking me to do the accent of the oppressor mm, um, now now, her as a Scot, and we we kind of looked at each other, we we laughed, and there were other people in the class, we, we kind of went, ha ha. I said, that might be true, but I said, if you want to get this accent as an actor, you might have to address your feelings towards a particular accent, you know, because some people have feelings about accents they don't like, and they're just feelings. Mm. Um, mm. People, for example, you know, often say, oh, they don't like Birmingham accents. Um, because they remind them of, you know, people being thick or whatever. But that's it, ridiculous, actually. That's a complete social construct. Mm. Because actually, if you play a Birmingham accent to people that have no knowledge of it, they think it's a nice, tuneful thing. Fascinating. I mean, also, just talking about what we, how we, how it feels to do an accent and about the mouth particularly. Mm. Um, I mean, I, I want to talk about noses because I always think that, oh, yeah. that people, um, <laughs> people like me, who I mean, my blood was brought up in the south. I have rather round, you know, if I go through that, I'm sort of round um, kind of sort of somewhere. It's where I speak is is somewhere quite far back, but it always seems mm. to me that like a a Manchester accent, you, your accent, for instance, is more in the, in the, in the air in the nose and it feels weird to do that and so when people like me try and do mm. do northern accents i don't think they do it very well because they haven't got that nose thing going on we've got labels um so hang on this would be me talking nasally now nasal actually is when you push all the air down your nose yeah. right so yeah. this is me speaking nasally and i don't think i do that um i think i've got two things possibilities of what i go and I use this 
sort of thing called twang, which is a sort of a term coined by um, a, a sort of voice methodology called a still, which is where you kind of tighten your vocal tract and ah, 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 ah. it's that sort of sound if you're pretending to be, I don't know, a witch or a warlock or something. Ha 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 ha, cackle. Ha 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 ha. Which is a very different sensation if you're not used to it. Um, also, my people, my people from South Africa, we tend to be actually slightly denasalized. Is we, we tend, we sometimes don't use all the resonance you would have on your nose. But what I'm saying to you, it's a very different quality to what you use. It's a voice quality. Yeah. Um, and we're using different parts of our faces buried and you're absolutely right to get the resonance right so like with American accents if we do um, hang on this is hard if I do if I do my wait a minute if I try and get my American but I'm keeping my own sort of resonance my sounds are kind of okay but I'm I'm not I'm not in the right resonance space um, whereas if I, yeah, I'm just going to add a little something else, which you might describe as nasally. It's, it's, it's this twang thing again. I'm, mm. and I'm better. I'm better now with the American because I'm sort of more in the zone. So your, your, mm. your ears are very good. Different accents because we've got different resonating cavities, you know, that big orifice, you know, behind your lips. And then you've got your nose and then you've got you know other little cavities around your face and what have you mm. um and what you do at the very back of your throat so that changes the quality of sounds and huh. some sounds are brighter and louder yeah. um so ones that use that ah bright so if you think of an extreme sort of like old school new york sort of sound ah or a very kind of tight glass region like that, but not everybody talks like that, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah? So not everybody does the extreme levels. Yeah. yeah. Or, you know, London, was it London Market Trader? That's the same quality of voice that I hear around say, ah, oh, it's still alive and well. People say Cockney's dead, it's not. It's just mm. moved to Essex, Kent. Okay. <laughs> It's so it's very complex, isn't it? And I guess you've got to mm. keep your ears and eyes on all those different aspects. What your people are doing with their lips, with their, with, you know, with their yes. mouths, their, and even the, even yes. the, even their eyes. When you talk about, um, yeah, yeah, what you do, the squinty thing with your with your South Manchester. Yes. Um, let's talk yes. a bit about how, um, yeah, voice and an identity really, and and how, yeah, how 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 that's tied up for you, if if because I. I mean, I moved from the, the south to the north, uh, you know, mm. 20 or 30 years ago. Uh, mm. I don't think my voice has changed. Some people sound down south say, oh, you've changed, you know, you, you, you're sounding northern. Do I sound northern? I don't think so. But I, uh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's all right then. So here's the thing um, that I would say you're relatively confident in your own identity and your accent, which is why you haven't shifted it. Whereas other people, well, there's two things going on. People shift their accents either because they've got such a spongy brain, they can't help but take in a new accent of where they are. Um, the other thing is, is that if you're fairly confident in your identity, without even knowing, you'll just carry on speaking how you speak. So, I mean, you know, an example of this would be my Uncle George, who's Glaswegian, who, this is, you know, 70 odd years ago moved to Belgium and spoke Flemish but with a strong Glaswegian accent he didn't kind of make any concession because his identity as a Scotsman was very strong mm. even when he was speaking a foreign language so it's it's something about identity so often kids when they go to school will change their accents to why to fit in because not become the kid that sounds different to everybody else mm. um there are exceptions to this. I remember meeting a guy on the um, at a at a workshop years ago who spoke like this, and he was only about I don't know maybe twenty five or so. And I mean, how does this sound to you, Peter? Mm. How does this sound quite posh and quite period? It does indeed, yeah. It does, doesn't it? And yeah. it was only about ten years ago, and he's twenty five. And I said, oh. 
oh, that's and he said he came from Derby and he went to a comprehensive school. And I went, oh, I said, did they sound like that at your school? He said, no, I heard this somewhere and I liked it so much I started to speak like this. And I used to get the crap kicked out of me every day. For, so, so, so some people make very clear decisions about talking differently to everybody else and don't care. But most ordinary mortals will adapt to their surroundings. And that's why kids do it. And sort of the last big accent shift is usually if people go to university or college or whatever and move away. And then it's not the accents all merge but people shift in order to be understood. I mean, a lot of people will tell me, oh, when I went to uni, I was told I spoke too fast. And and I sort of squint and go, oh, they need to listen. They need to listen more carefully rather than you necessarily slowing down and changing everything. You know, I think there's a... Because the thing is in the UK as well is we... we, we um, place... We socially place people. Yeah based on accent we make assumptions um and we're often wrong and we judge people and it's a very 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 uk thing other countries other nations do it but we're like we're like the biggest so so for example if i talk to you like this you can just do this for yourself in your head but if Mm. i talk to you like this what sort of house do i have Mm. what sort of dog do i have what sort of car do I drive? And what sort of school did I go to? And mm. um, whereas if I talk to you like this, what sort of house have I got? What sort mm. of dog have I got? What sort of school does I go to? Um, um, I can't remember what the other one was, but you know what, you get you, yeah. you, you get my drift. Okay. Now, it could be the second person talking is um, a footballer that's completely loaded, okay? Mm. And that might not have been one's first assumption. Mm. Might, might, one might have gone, the first one was, you know, sort of mansion, the second one was council estate. We get it wrong all the time and we ascribe meaning to different accents. Um, and it, it's a bit of a rubbish way of socially placing people, actually, because we think we know them. You know, there's a sort of, I mean, not, yeah, no, to get absolutely political, um, there's an awful lot of people in parliament at the moment that, the government who speak like this who are i would consider can only give me my personal opinion opinion are completely untrustworthy yet they've got an accent which sounds like we believe it yeah. to be trustworthy mm-hmm. so so we've got all sorts of beliefs um uh, this is changing by the way this is this is moving away but but identity and accent you know one of the biggest things still is people want to change their accents um, and it's usually not received pronunciation or Southern Standard British they want to change. They want to change um, their Bolton accent. They want to, it's called accent softening. Um, mm. I don't like it. It's accent addition. If you're going to change your accent, you're actually adding something. But, you know, whatever accent you've got, so long as you can speak in a way that other people can understand and they're not lazy um, in their listening, that's fine. Um, clear example, my neighbours, for example, um, where I live in London, uh, husband, you know, kind of talks like this, you know what I'm saying? It's not, it's not, it's a difficult delivery. Whereas the wife with the same accent speaks very clearly. Although she's clearly got a London accent, you know what I'm saying? Mm. So you can understand what she's saying. It's a little tricky with him only because his speech is mushy. Right. In the same in the same way, I can talk to an RP like this, and it would be entirely messy indeed. Mm. Yeah. Yeah? yeah. So it's about delivery, and wanting to be understood by people. And trying to change your accent in any way, I guess is that I've heard this expression code switching. What is code? Oh switching? yeah. So code switching isn't necessarily about changing your accent. It's more. Code switching is when we use our voice in a different way. And this is a great thing for actors to know because when they're learning an accent that you'll use your voice differently depending who you're speaking to. So we all have different versions of our accents um, and voices depending who we're speaking to. So, um, you know, anyone with kids will have a good a, a good child oh look at you oh and a bad sit down stop it i told you not don't do that yeah there's a good child bad child voice um 
anybody who's got an uh, a maybe older member of the family who's possibly a little bit deaf that you think this might help it probably won't but yeah um we've also got to talk to the doggy who's a good doggy who's a good doggy and for example if we'd been talking today peter and i'd come on going hello peter hello that's i'm a voice coach isn't that nice isn't that nice i'm a voice coach oh so i'm still basically in my same accent but i'm just doing weird stuff so um as socialised human beings, we, we shift minutely all the time. Some people completely change their accents. Um, you know, talking to friends, I've got one friend who, like, she just sounds London when she's, like, talking to well, London-ish when she's, like, talking to you. And then her mum comes on her phone and she's straight away into her training accent. You know, what are you, what are you doing, mum? And she switches totally into another gear completely and then comes back out again. So... You know the range of what we can do, and she wouldn't say she's good at accents, by the way. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people. I mean, some people's brains are wired to pick up sound. Mm. By the way, so not it. And some people. I've only ever taught one person, one actor who absolutely couldn't do anything than his own accent. Yeah. He had a very special brain. But most actors can manage at least one thing. Because if you think about it, when you're born, you don't pop out the womb with an accent, do you? You learn one. You know, babies don't pop out going, oh, hello, send me some books so I can learn how to speak. No. Um, I mean, my 96-year-old mother is is very... who lives in Canada, um, is English, lives in Canada, is forever impressed that babies, toddlers in Canada speak with Canadian accents. <laughs> said, oh, they sound Canadian. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> no, mum, they're in Canada. They're imitating. But I see where she's coming from. Yeah. Babies, children don't come up with a neutral accent. So we, we learn from what's around us. So when we were little, um, we, you know, learned lots of noises. We just learned to park a lot of those noises because they don't fit our world so we keep you know yeah. eh or oh but we lose because we don't use very mm. often we haven't got a little friend called um yeah so yeah so i guess i mean the the thing that sort of gives me cheer in a way is that cheer. all the yeah cheers me up is the idea that um all the code switching we do or the fitting in with accents that we mm. do is not about sort of sort of pretending to be something we're not but it's actually it comes from a desire to communicate really right? absolutely yeah yeah code switching is more about a desire to communicate and it's not necessarily about accent changing so yeah. much it's about that need to connect mm. um and the only people who don't code switch are the very far ends of the spectrum um uh, social spectrum so the poshest of the posh you know the people that talk like that mm. they really uh, it, it's the the effort should be on the listener to do the list. You know, yeah. th there's that, and like my scaffolders at Kyrad who are like, oh, where's it going? I heard one of them on the phone, and I said, oh, is, are you ordering the bricks? And he went, no, I'm talking to my baby, and he was like, oh, where's it going? And the baby's 18 months, and you know, there were no concessions. So yeah. the rest of us are at some level trying to. Yeah, connect with people. That's what speaking is about. And there's no mm. such thing as a bad accent. All accents are completely fine. I love all accents equally. And they're, you know, equal status, personally, mm. I think. But but socially, people place certain ones as bad. Briefly, and I know I've kept you on a long time because it's been absolutely fascinating and I think people will find this fascinating because voice and accent are so integral to what we are um, and mm. especially doing the radio stuff that we do here um, at Chocolate FM Arts Centre, East Leeds FM and working with people all the time and it's the voice that counts because you can't see us, we speak. Yeah. So Elspeth, yeah, uh, one final thing. Um, you, you work with newsreaders and mm. with people who are in the mainstream media in that respect and there is obviously a kind of newsreader voice uh, there is uh, I was because I work with people who speak uh, who speak poetry read poetry and there is poetry voice as well and how, how do you dislodge say a newsreader from that very almost cliched way that you hear people um, speak when they're, when they're introducing the news how do you work with that 
Well, this is a very good question um, because it's it's it comes back to the code switching thing again. It's a code. It's a way of speaking that lets you know you listen to the news. So you don't want to throw the baby completely out with the bathwater um, because if you think like if you remember the olden days of travel and you'd be in a hotel room and you just have the telly on um, without looking at the telly, you'd know when the news came on in a foreign language yeah. so let's say you're in a hotel room in a foreign place you don't speak the language but you know when the news is on because that voice kind of comes on and you go oh that's the news um so in the same way you'd recognize if it was a children's show so it's it's you don't want to completely get rid of it it's when people um i'll tell you what i work with more is when people just fall into the same pattern on every story mm. so you know the worst thing in the world has just happened the best thing in the world has just happened and you use exactly the same tone of voice so what i'm doing with that is just trying to make some little distinctions like so the worst thing in the world has just happened um the best thing in the world has just happened using different qualities different tones different notes in your voice um it's particularly i i work more with people who have got scripts who don't want them to sound like scripts. So it's trying to conversationalize a scripted piece. Um, so like in podcasts, for example, I see a lot of podcasts at the moment who've heavily, well, two things happen with podcasters. They actually haven't thought in advance about what they're going to say, so they just go in and ramble and it's quite boring. Um, it sounds like speech, but it's very dull. Um, on the other hand, there's ones who heavily script what they've done and then sound like they're reading the news. Or his podcast voice should be very different to the news because you should just sound like so we found this woman and this woman had been living in a cave um for 14 days why was she there well she was there because and they but they've scripted it in a way that kind of the rhythms are very newsy so my job is to make people sound like they're just chatting even if it is scripted that's the best way i can describe it so within news, there's lots of different ways of using your voice. There isn't just the one way. So a newsreader will sound different to a presenter, who'll sound different to a reporter, who'll sound different to someone doing what they call a voice piece, which would come in a news bulletin, who will sound different to a guest. And then they'll all sound different when they're just talking live and asking each other questions. So it's looking at sort of the micro worlds in that and getting people to deliver in a way that makes people listen to the content and not think about the voice that's my basic job it's a good way to finish my basic job is to get people to stop thinking about accent or delivery and listen to the message wonderful uh thanks so much uh for talking to us and elspeth yeah if people want to get in contact with you or to know more about what you do or or indeed hire you uh, how do they get in contact with you um, I've got a link to, I've got an agent, you don't have to go through my agent, but I've got one, so you can read more about me, it's um, Ups and Edwards, uh, Elspeth Morrison, Ups and Edwards, or Elspeth Morrison agent, um, but I've also got a LinkedIn page, that's a good way to get, I haven't got a website or anything, but LinkedIn is a good way to uh, get hold of me or elspeth 20 uh, elspeth 27 on twitter but i don't really use that hopeless linkedin's a good way to get hold of me brilliant and finally before we go um yeah you're going to give us another piece of music i believe by the undertones which you use again <laughs> to illustrate some of your work so yeah it's 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 got a nice um it's it's got little clues to a uh, various features of northern irish accents it's called my perfect cousin and um, my perfect cousin if you kind of sing along to the singer's called fergal sharky if you sing along and sort of listen minutely you'll come away with a was it my perfect cousin what i like to do he doesn't you'll you'll start to drift into a sort of northern irish idiom um um i think he's actually from derry but he's got a lot of nice nice northern irish generic northern irish sounds in there these are just fun things because most songs like i say don't give you accents or or can i just give you another one cool for cats yeah. that's another one cool for cats actually that's that's even clearer so my perfect cousin for northern irish or cool for cats from squeeze yeah 
um, cool four cats and you get all the lovely South London things coming through in the song. It's almost spoken and it's 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 great. That's it. The, my perfect cousin's kind of subtle. Um, cool for cats is more. Yeah, actually, go. Let's should we go for cool for cats? It's just because it's more bold. We could do both. Oh, you do both. There you go. It's bold. <laughs> bold. It's bold. Bold. As yeah. as you have been and we have been. Thanks ever so much, Elspeth. Really appreciate you uh, joining us on Love the Words tonight. And uh, yeah, yeah, welcome. Keep in touch with us. <laughs> The Indians send signals from the rocks above the pass. The cowboys take position in the bushes and the grass. The score is with the corporal, she is tied against the tree. She doesn't mind the language, it's the beating she don't need. She lets loose all the horses when the corporal is asleep. And he wakes to find the fires dead and arrows in his axe. And Davy Crockett rides around and says it's cool for cats, it's cool for cats. The Sweeney's doing 90 cause they've got the work to go They get a gang of villains in a shed up at Heathrow They're counting out the fivers when the handcuffs lock again In and out I once were with the numbers on their names It's funny how the missus always looks a bleeding same And meanwhile at the station there's a couple of likely lads Who swear like as your father and they're very cool for cats They're cool for cats the mood a little, I've been posing down the pub I'm seeing my reflection, I'm looking slightly rough I fancy this, I fancy that, I wanna be so flash I give a little muscle and I spend a little cash But all I get is bitter and a nasty little rash And by the time I'm sober I've forgotten what I've had And everybody tells me that it's cool to be a cat Cool for cats Love the apostrophes. Love the colons and the question marks. Love the words from East Leeds FM. No, no, Lita. No, no, Lita. Welcome to Wordy Birds. Wordy Birds is our regular spot on East Leeds FM for stories and for poetry. Writers, poets, scribblers and Wordy Birds from Yorkshire and beyond give us what they've got and the odd musician too. We always welcome a muso. Today uh, in this episode of Wordy Birds we have a story from Steph Shields on Lady Lane. Then something new. 
but I'll tell you about that in a minute. Here's a story called On Lady Lane. These things will be lost. The old names, old ways, dead folks' secrets. This is Lady Lane. Stretches down from Back Street to Dick's Beck Bridge. You didn't know this name. An old drover's way. There's still the mossy slabs to see when the beck's in spate and swishes up the mud. Go south over Dick's Beck Bridge, then up to Low Snowdon. Six miles it is to Otley by foot. Stick by Dick's Beck. Don't drop in. You'll wend your way there eventually. Few choose for these days. Silver hikers, first flush of age, women's groups, youths on the Duke of Edinburgh stage. Whoever but few do. Go north. It'll take you up to Timble Village. And that's where I went, was sent, late that winter's afternoon. Ma, short of fuse, had had enough. Kids chivying, the bairn mounging, clothes steaming, smelling manky, shrouding the fire, nithering outdoors, indoors no better. Me, second daughter, Ma sent me off before my tea. Take the rent to Timble. Here's the money. Here's the book. Look sharp. Don't dawdle. Do not, I say, do not lose it. Take it to the landlord. It's due this day. I almost made the gate. Ma calls me back. Take her too, now skift. I set off up Lady Lane. Bone chilling it was. The bairn was struggling in the arms. I was a strong lass, stout for my age, barely twelve. I tried to soothe, tried to scold. The bairn, a heavy, angry weight, arched and pushed away from me. Her cheeks like strawberries. A pin-knitted bonnet pushed askew. We struggled, wrestled. Then her struggle stilled, for she was overcome with chill and sleep. Sometimes movement sends them off. I swaddled, wrapped the shawl around her tight. I placed her in a tree root cleat, just off the path above the gill. Tucked in snug, what harm. I made my way. My torch was dim. I paid the man and slipped the book inside my coat's breast pocket, my hands back in my woolly mitts. As I came down Lady Lane, the stars were winking. The moon stepped out behind the clouds. She lit my way. I saw the frosted patterns on the fallen leaves and green moss walls. The way before me sparkled like a path to paradise. An owl screeched. I walked this ice wall wonderland home as if in an enchantment. I thought I'd pass the folk who'd walked this way before me. On Dick's Beck Bridge, I froze. I tapped my chest. The book was at my breast, but I had no bairn in my arms. The moon, she ditched me sharp. My torch was dimming, my chest tightening, my mind was spinning. I retraced my steps, boots slipping, knees knocking, to find that tree above the gill. She slept on between the cleats. Over these past 80 years or so, I still snap awake at night, terror struck and breathing tight. I worry the what-ifs, more weighty than an actual death. My sister laughs when I retell this tale, a family gathering's favourite. I cannot laugh. I taste that mortal dread again, that almost night on Lady Lane. Thank you to Steph Shields for reading us her story on Lady Lane. Now the first in a series of true stories. Uh, from a Yorkshire pit village in the 1950s by Tony Abbott. Um, the series is called Finchie, Tink, Skinner and Bub. The Adventures of Finchie, Tink, 
Skinner and Bub. Story number one, The Little Wood. One day, Finchy, Tink, Skinner and Bub were sitting on curb just outside Skinner's house in Hatfield Place. They had not much to do. Finchy said, As about we go to Little Wood. There's a small stream there and a pond and maybe there's some frog spawn. That sounded really interesting. The four set off, out of Hatfield Place, across Cow Lane, past Bus Stop, down Olgert's Fields, along the hedgerows, and past Uts where Jewer Olgert kept his pigs. The track bent round alongside the ditch, which were full of mucky water. They didn't go near that. It wasn't far to wood, but it was further than Skinner had ever been without his mam or his dad. After about twenty minutes, they were all in wood. Finchy went up and down and up and down, looking for that stream and pond. Tink, Bob and Skinner, they followed like sheep, till Finchy pointed to a small opening in ground. Water bubbled out and ran along down a small slope into trees beyond. Skidder were thirsty. He got down on his knees and bent over to get a drink. Finchy grabbed him. Don't thee be doing that, Skinner, he said. There could be tadpoles in thee. If thou drinks it, they'll grow into frogs inside thee. That'll be horrible. Finchy knew everything. Skinner stood up and followed them down the slope, deeper into wood. After searching for a while, Finchy said, That pond must have dried out. What do we do now? He toyed with his sheath knife for a while, digging it into soft grassy ground. Tink had an idea. Let's climb that tree. Bob looked at him. He said, Then what? He said, Well, we could go out on that branch and jump back down again. Without any delay, Tink were climbing and scrimming up that tree. He was so quick. Finchy followed. The pair went out on a branch and hung from it, from their arms, and counted one, two, three, and dropped together. They rolled over and just laughed and laughed. Tink said, Come on, Skinner, Dad's got to do it now. Skinner was scared. He was scared of climbing that tree, but he was more scared of not doing it. So he set off. Up he climbed, with Tink behind him, pulling at his legs and making scary noises, until Finchy pulled him off. Leave him alone, Tink, he said. Then gingerly, Skinner went along that branch and hung from his arms. They counted. One, two, three, and Skinner dropped. He landed funny, and all the breath went out of him. He was sore from that drop but he didn't want to show it. Finchy said, We'll have to show the how to land proper, won't we? Finchy and Tink then looked at Bob, but he was already on his way up. When he got out on that branch, Finchy and Tink counted, One, two, three, but Bob, he didn't drop. He looked a bit scared. They counted again. Still he didn't drop. And again... Bob just hung there saying note. Tink climbed up and told Bob, If they don't drop now, I'm going to stamp on the hands. And then he started doing just that. But Bob hung on saying note, his eyes looking straight ahead. Finchy told Tink to stop his stamping, but he wouldn't. Then all of a sudden Bob dropped and landed. He got up, looking very cross. Tink came down laughing, and Bob grabbed him and pushed him to the ground and held him down, until Tink said he was sorry, and he'd never do out like that again. Then it was time to go home. They tramped back, Skinner holding his sore ribs, Bob rubbing his hands, Tink quietly planning his next trick, while Finchy thought about that missing pond. Maybe there Ken knew where it had gone. They got home, had the tea, 
got a wash and went to bed, waiting for the next day's adventure. Thank you so much to Tony Abbott for sending us in that story. I really hope we have some more from you, Tony, over the next few weeks. That's all for this episode of Wordy Birds. We'll be back soon. In the meantime, happy listening, happy writing, happy reading. Love the cases, love the clauses, love the adverbs and the antecedents, love the words, from ELFM. And I'm